Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. All right, so in the past, we've done a couple of podcasts somewhat related to arrow weight, whether it was right. you know the whole podcast or part of the podcast. But what I did over the last week is I bought a chronograph, and I really wanted to see, you know, number one, for my particular bow and the cam system and whatnot, is there like a certain point where whatever arrow weight I'm shooting is like a sweet spot in the cam. I'm getting more kinetic energy there than I would be at, you know, 50 grains uh, lighter or heavier. And just in general, I wanted to see what kind of results I'd get if I shot various arrow weights all the way up to super, super heavy weights to see if, you know, how much the momentum changes, assuming that it's going to go up, but does it always go up? Is there, you know, a point of diminishing returns where the graph either flattens out or it really, you know, tapers back down and I start losing momentum. So I really wanted to try and get that data for the compound. And then I threw a couple arrows through the traditional bow as well, just to kind of see how much of a difference that would make. And obviously I couldn't go as granular with a traditional bow because the arrows had to spine out well. So I just threw two arrow setups that would probably both fall within typical hunting weight ranges for a light longbow essentially yeah i think we've like you said we've talked a lot about arrow weights and arrow setups but it's all been speculatory at best there's no hard evidence kind of like what you've just done with all this to to get the evidence out of it is like you know at what point does things start to diminish or is there a point for that yeah, and, and one thing we definitely have the numbers for now is out of the bow, we know what's happening. What we right. can't predict and what there's still a lot of variability on is how much is actually needed. And, you know, that yeah. there's so many variables that play into that. But I, I definitely, it was a little bit of an eye-opener, eye-opener for me to actually look through all this data and see what the most efficient ranges were. Um, because I, I really myself expected that there would be kind of a, a peak efficiency point throughout the range that I tested and I never really found that it, the trend kind of continued to increase the entire way. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at like the momentum and the kinetic energy obviously kept going and even the velocity, it seems like once you got, Oh, what is that? To about 200 feet per second. There really wasn't a lot of change over almost double the arrow weight basically. Right. And so for people who are just listening to the podcast and they haven't seen the Instagram post or whatever, uh, we'll probably have the photo of these various graphs and the raw data as like the podcast image. Uh, But also if you go to my Instagram page, DIY underscore sports, and you go to see these values for the arrow weight, the average velocity, the kinetic energy calculation and the momentum calculation and be able to see everything graphed. Uh, So if you're looking for a visual to be able to follow along to, that's where you'll be able to find it. Yeah, if you're somebody like me, the whole if you look at just the data set, 
there's too many numbers there to comprehend. But then when you put it in graph form, it makes it a lot easier for people like me to understand when you can look at the graph and you're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, the graph really does make it a lot easier to, to you know, visualize and, and especially see the trends, right? Because not all the things that were tested ended up being like a linear relationship. Right. I think the velocity one for me was about what I expected to be in terms of the trend. And when I look at the, like the IBO speed of my bow, um, even if you look at the lightest arrow, which granted the lightest arrow I shot was 379.4 grains. So not quite that IBO speed and I'm not shooting an IBO 30 inch draw length. Um, so as expected, I was never really at my IBO speeds, uh, even at the lighter arrows. Uh, I got that big total peep in there. Um, tied knock sets above and below my knock D loop, right? So the fastest arrow speed that I shot with that lightest arrow was 295 feet per second. And that gives me uh 73.3 foot pounds of kinetic energy and just less than 0.5 slugs of momentum. And I guess at this point too, we should probably touch on, you know, the kinetic energy versus momentum thing. Um, exactly. uh, velocity is very intuitive. I think people get what, you know, speed out of the bow is. Um, that's, that's pretty easy to, to comprehend, but in terms of kinetic energy and momentum, and it seems like at least on Facebook discussions and podcasts and, and forums and whatnot, it, it seems like there's a lot of good information out there now, um, in the last few years that, you know, people are starting to push more and more towards momentum as being a, a key indicator rather than kinetic energy. But really the, the main difference is they're both related they're both based on the weight of your arrow and the speed of your arrow, but they're a little bit different in terms of what they actually mean. So energy is just that it's, it's energy. There's kinetic energy, there's potential energy, there's, you know, a, a sound energy, uh, or acoustic like vibrations. So there's, there's very many different kinds of energy and that energy can be transferred from one form to another. When you draw your bow back, you're storing potential energy. When you release the string, that potential energy is released and transferred into kinetic energy. Some of that is lost in inefficiencies in the bow. Um, and that inefficiency is actually, you know, it has a name, it's called hysteresis. Uh, so you're never actually going to get a hundred percent of the energy out of the bow. Um, usually, uh, gosh, I should know what the number is, but I want to say the most compound bows are maybe like, you know, in the 90 ish percent range for efficiency. So you're going to be losing, um, like if you had a perfectly efficient compound bow, it wouldn't make any noise when you shot. It would be absolute dead quiet. All that energy stored in the limbs would get pushed into the arrow. Uh, but that's just not the case. Um, so real quick, what are, so I'm sure there's some people wondering, what are those things that, why is it caught, what on the bow is causing it to lose that transfer of energy? Are you talking things like peep, um, whether you have um, string silencers on the bow, things like that? Well, so that's going to play into your velocity, um, being that you have those things on your, your string, there's extra weight. So you're pushing more, more things forward. You're not just pushing the arrow. You're also pushing the mass weight of the peep site. You're pushing the mass weight of any of that serving thread. So that's part of the reason why you're not going to get the speed that your IBO rating on the manufacturer website uh, says you're going to get. Um, but in terms of like the energy, the energy loss is more from, um, just kind of imperfections in the system overall you know, there's friction of the cams, there's, there's friction on all the moving parts, there's a little bit of air resistance. Um, and so those all little, all those little things might not seem like much, but when they add up, 
you know, there's, there's very little things that are, you know, close to perfectly efficient in the world. Your car, for example, is, you know, the combustion engine is horribly inefficient. Uh, when you look at percentages of, you know, energy in and energy out. So would this kind of where I'm going with this, would that, would this tie into the tune of a bow into the transfer of that energy? <clears throat> so a properly tuned or timed bow would transfer, transfer the maximum amount of energy to compared to a bow that's slightly out of tune or out of time? Yes. Uh, for in two different ways. So if you're, for example, let's say your, your tune isn't maybe too bad, but you're shooting an underspined arrow. That arrow is going to have an excessive amount of flex when you shoot it, and it's going to start oscillating a lot until it recovers from that flex, you know, during its flight. And all that time while it's, um, while it's recovering out of the bow, you're losing energy to be able to get back to that stable flight. And same thing if your, you know, center shot is off or your timing is off, your knock, knock travel is not level, um, your arrow is not going to be flying cleanly out of that bow. And in the time it takes to stabilize, you know, with your fletching on the back of the arrow, you're losing energy. It's doing more work to be able to get that arrow corrected than if you just had a perfectly clean flying arrow right out of the bow. Okay. So now back to before I interrupted, you just kind of give a little background on that. Back into that about the different types of energy, kinetic energy, yeah, so the main point with that is that energy can be transferred into other kinds of energy. That's an important thing to uh, keep in mind. When we talk about momentum, even though it's still based on the velocity and the mass weight of the arrow, with momentum in physics, it, it may be an easy way to, to think about this is, you know, back in like high school physics class or whatever, when they teach you, you know, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. And when you think about, you know, um, if you try and, you know, throw a bowling ball versus throwing a ping pong ball, uh, that the bowling ball is going to tend to keep moving. If you, you know, hit a cue ball, sometimes that cue ball will go forward and hit the, the next ball and it'll just, that, that cue ball will just stop and the next ball will take all that momentum and just transfer it forward. So momentum is kind of like a, it has a directionality associated with it. So momentum is, is conserved, but you, it has, it can't be transferred into energy in the same type of way that, you know, one type of energy can be converted to another kind of energy. Um, it's hard to, hard to explain it. I think in an, an easy to understand way, it's probably easier to visualize it through various examples, right? Like a heavy, slow moving object, like a train hitting something that's light is, that like you're not going to move that or slow that train down at all. Right. Versus, you know, a light car, uh, trying to hit like a heavy truck is going to be kind of the polar opposite. And so <clears throat> the key thing with momentum is it's a little bit better indicator of what your penetration could be like much, much more so than connect energy. And I don't know, you know, how easily that was to, to follow any of that discussion, but momentum is more important for understanding penetration kinetic energy is useful for evaluating your efficiency with your bows which makes sense the analogy i always kind of use is would you rather get hit by a freight train going 55 or would you rather get hit by a crotch rocket going 110 you know it's, it's kind of the momentum aspect of it the momentum is going to have kind of a more kind of downrange influence basically than the kinetic energy yeah yeah. And those type of analogies always kind of get me too, because 
the train probably has a lot more kinetic energy lot, too. But yeah, but I know I, it's. On, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand that's that's an easy way for a lot of people to visualize that argument. So I think it's a good right. analogy. So, you know, looking at the graphs, then now that we've kind of given a background about you know what we're looking for and what we're trying to interpret when we see these results, shooting light arrows versus heavy arrows and everything in between. The velocity of the bow <clears throat> obviously gets slower the heavier you go in arrow weight. But as you get further and further along and get to heavier and heavier arrows, you start to lose less velocity for each time you jump up in weight. So if you're jumping from, like I, I think I said this in the video I have coming out, from the second arrow I shot, 406 grains, I was shooting 286 feet per second. And then I shot a 506 grain arrow, 258 feet per second. So I added almost exactly 100 grains and I lost exactly 30 feet per second to make that jump of hundred grains. Whereas now we drop down to the last two arrows that I shot. I jumped up from 1,043 grains to 1,163 grains. So I added about 120 grains of arrow weight at that last increment and I only lost uh, less than 10, 9.3 feet per second to make that much larger jump in weight. So that was something that was interesting too. And you can just see it by looking at the graph. It starts to kind of level out as you get further and further down that graph. Um, and if you kind of visualize what would happen if that graph kept extending, it almost looks like it would flatten out at around 150 feet per second. Meaning if I just kept adding more and more weight to that arrow, I bet you'd for sure probably see a lot of speeds that are really close to 150 feet per second, which is really slow. But the interesting thing that we talk about next is, you know, kind of what the, what the momentum is doing is that weight increases and the speed kind of stays the same. Um, <clears throat> that momentum graph starts off, like I said before, at just under 0.5. By the time we get to the end, that momentum is 0.89. So it increased by about 80% from the lightest arrow to the heaviest arrow. So that heaviest arrow at 1163 grains uh, was moving 173 feet per second, which is really slow. That's like longbow speed. Yeah. But it's a, it's a enormously heavy arrow. Uh, so that's just in terms of the, the calculation uh, for that momentum and the penetration capability. Like that's, that's why if you go to Africa and hunt for like Cape Buffalo, that's why they will tell you to shoot a really heavy arrow because for a given bow, you're getting way more momentum and way more penetration capability by shooting that heavier arrow. And the other thing that's interesting to look at is the kinetic energy also increased, but it didn't increase all that much in comparison to how much the momentum increased. So if you were some guy who was saying, Hey, I want to just you know, have a good kinetic energy number for my penetration, you might look at that lightest arrow and then look at the heaviest arrow and be like, well, they're really not that much different. 6% increase from the lightest to the heaviest. And you might think, well, I might as well shoot an a lighter arrow because at that point, you know, I'm still having pretty good energy. But what can happen with that energy, even if your arrow flies nice and clean out of the bow, you have a good efficient setup. <clears throat> Upon impact, that energy can get shed pretty quickly. The arrow oscillates a lot. Uh, you get a lot of flex. Uh, loud smack when you hit the, the animal. Um, so there's, there's a lot that energy can very quickly taper off and that low momentum number is not going to help you out at all. Uh, versus 
<clears throat> that 1163 grain are a lot different story there. The kinetic energy graph did, did jump around a little bit. It wasn't quite as smooth. You know, if you look at the velocity, it's a nice smooth curve. If you look at the momentum, it's almost a straight line of increase throughout that entire graph. And you look at the energy and there's some high points and low points. Some of that might be little tiny sweet spots, um, in the system, um, in terms of the arrow weight, like you can see it's around, you know, 620, 630 grains. It seemed like it, it go, bumps up a little bit above the average. Um, but I think part of that also might be due to the fact that to get these numbers, I had to shoot a few different arrow shafts. And basically I would take a really stiff arrow, put a light point weight on it, shoot it, and then increase point weight up into the point where I was probably spined well for my bow and then switch to it the next heavier spine and just kind of work my way up that way. So I was never really shooting an arrow that was overly weak and getting a lot of flex out of the bow. So if anything, it was, you know, too stiff, um, all the way ranging to probably pretty close to properly spined. So that's why I think that for the, the speed, momentum and energy, there's, you know, the, the graphs are, are pretty well, um, are pretty well smoothed out. I think if I would have just taken the same arrow and just kept loading on point weight over and over and over again, I think you might see that energy number, uh, fluctuate a lot more as that arrow starts to flex more and more as it's continues to be more over or underspined out of the bow. Yeah. It would definitely be interesting to go back and look at that <clears throat> kinetic energy graph in relation to when you did have to jump or switch arrow shafts basically to see if that's when it actually matched up, um, to kind of those, cause like you said, you're, starting with a stiff shaft and then you get to a, a high performance shaft or a, a good spine, a well-spined shaft. So like you said, I think that's kind of part of the reason you see that um, kind of slight jumps in there. And again, if you guys are looking at the graph on this, it's actually really hard to tell that there's slight variations in that graph unless you really zoom in on it. Um, you can see just slight variations in it. Um, just, a, I mean, not a whole lot, just a couple yeah, and the other the other thing basically. to the other thing to keep in mind too that kinetic energy graph, all the other graphs go from zero to whatever the highest number is. The average velocity is graphed on a scale from zero to three hundred fifty. The momentum is graphed on a scale from zero to one. The kinetic energy is graphed on a scale from sixty to eighty-five. I didn't start at zero because when I started that graph at zero, it just looked like a flat line. Yeah, because there's just not that much change there. Um. And I, I basically, from 379 grains to 406 grains, I shot a Pierce Platinum Arrow 300 spine. From 454 grains to 675 grains, I shot a Grizzly Stick 240. And everything above that, I used the uh, Bishop Fat Eliminator and just started off with uh, light point weight at first. And then once I maxed out on point weight, then I threw the, the full length carbon tube on the inside and started with a light point weight and then built that up. Um, so that was how I got my 1163 grains and that arrow was ultra, ultra stiff at that, at that kind of a setup. And so those, those pretty much line up with the, the slight differences in the kinetic energy, you know, right there around that. Oh, what the heck was it? 630, 650, yeah. somewhere right around in there. Yep. Right there. Um, and then there's a slight one right there, like the 760, 780 one. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, that, that little slight little bumps, that's not something I'm going to try and chase. I'd rather make my, yeah. my decision based on trajectory rather than, oh, my bow is 1% more efficient than I would think it would be at that speed. Uh, it's not even 1%. <laughs> it's 0.1% basically. Right, so, right. yeah. 
So I think, yeah, I agree. I was I was really intrigued looking at that, um, especially at the kinetic energy, the the minimal difference between your three seventy nine arrow and your eleven sixty three arrow. I mean, you're only looking at four foot pounds of energy, basically a little over four foot pounds of energy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's not a whole lot. Yeah, and I didn't graph all of these out on the spine like software either. But I remember doing like a similar type of thing several years ago where I just did this graph basically theoretically using the calculators and it showed that there was like kind of a maximum number and then it started to drop off. But that's definitely not what I saw when I tested the real arrows. So I wonder if there's, you know, a point where those, that algorithm kind of breaks down with the heavier arrows. I would, I would have to assume there is, um, I'm, I mean, outside of Troy, the ranch ferry, I don't think there's a whole lot of people who really go to that extreme and that heavy aspect. And I remember we talked to him, he talked about, you know, a lot of those algorithms and a lot of those um, charts are way off, especially once you get up into that really extreme weight range. Yeah. I know of a couple of people that have done similar type of tests like this, where they've chronoed uh, light to heavy arrows. And I think for the most part, it's, uh, it's pretty close to, you know, the same type of trends. Um, Mike Tanaka sent me some results of a bow that he tested where it shot a 560 grain arrow, the same speed as a 500 grain arrow. And he tested weights from like 300 to like a thousand grains. And he test retested that 560 grain arrow like 15 times. And it was always, it was getting the same velocity numbers, the 500, which makes zero sense. But you know, that's why he tested it over and over and over again and kept getting the same results. So it was like, well, might as well, you know, take that free extra 60 grains or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think, so there's a, a podcast that Ed Ashby was on where he said that most like south bows around 10 grains per pound was where they kind of peaked out at efficiency and then they started to drop off with modern traditional bows. It was around like 14 to 16. Um, and I feel like on a different podcast, I heard somebody say around 20 grains per pound uh, for compounds, which at 70 uh, 70 pounds, if that were the case, then my bow would be max or most efficient at roughly like a 1400 grain arrow, which I didn't get to yet. Um, so it's possible that you'd see that energy graph level out at, uh, at around that 1400 grains or, you know, give or take, I'm sure every bow is slightly different, every cam design, even what modules you have on, but right. I, I think the general trends are going to be pretty similar. That's interesting. I remember building self bows and remembering the 10 grains per pound is kind of the the rule of thumb when you built arrows was you wanted that 10 grains per pound. Um, but that's interesting to hear that it's that much for a modern compound bow, basically. And again, there is some variance depending on the bow cam and everything in that. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, too, is just qualitatively when I'm shooting these things, the light arrow is loud uh, and the heavy arrow it's like Troy said in that podcast we did with him, it kind of pushes back in your hand a little bit. Um, and that, that arrow is quiet. The sound of the arrow hitting the target seems like it's a lot louder than the actual arrow being shot. It's that, that arrow is retaining a lot of that, you know, initial energy that gets uh, shot out of the bow. Hmm. Which I mean goes for, if you're looking for obviously a quieter bow, a heavier arrow is going to be the way to go from that aspect. 
I did the same test with those two arrows like I alluded to earlier with the traditional bow and this bow was 43 pounds at 28 inches I'm shooting about 27 inch draw so probably closer to around 40 pounds and the results that I got with the two arrows that I tested <clears throat> arrow number one was 556 grains arrow number two was 700 three grains and that first arrow the lighter arrow shot at essentially uh, 150 feet per second you know across several shots that was that was the average speed that it shot and for the 700 grain arrow it was shooting at 137 so even though percentage wise is a fairly big drop you're still talking about the addition of over 100 you know about 150 grains of arrow weight and I lost 13 feet per second yeah. But the momentum jumped by 15%. I think the <clears throat> the momentum number on that 700 grain arrow was about 0.43, which you look at the momentum number for that compound shooting the lightest arrow, 0.49. Re close. Really pretty close, which is very interesting. So you can definitely see how you might say, hey, I might only need, you know, X amount of momentum to be comfortable shooting a whitetail. You can see how if you're shooting a really low energy bow, that heavy arrow allows you to get there much easier. Whereas you have a little bit more wiggle room if you have a high energy bow. Right. Which that's really interesting that a, you know, a traditional bow with a heavy arrow is putting out almost the same momentum as a 70 pound compound with a light arrow. Yeah. Uh, and the energy was vastly different. 73 pounds of kinetic energy for that compound with that light arrow. I think the calculation on the traditional bow was 29. Yeah. So almost, you know, over, Gosh. well over double, well over double the energy, uh, fired in the compound, but only, um, a slight difference in the actual momentum. Very interesting. And given the fact that a lot of guys that are shooting traditional are, you know, almost by default using cut on contact, you know, sharp broadheads that or as a compound guy shooting that 370 grain arrow, he might be using a mechanical and then right. you can really start to see how, how these, some of these traditional archers are getting passers in almost every shot. Whereas you see these guys on TV shooting these light arrows with expandables and they're getting eight inches of arrow sticking out and they only hit his ribs. It's definitely interesting once you start putting the science to it to see, cause I would have never have guessed they would have been that close momentum wise. I mean, obviously, kinetic energy-wise, you could have probably been pretty close to guess that they were about double for the compound over the traditional. But Yeah. At, at some point, I don't know why, but I think it would be really cool to shoot a bow that has a momentum value of like one or above. <laughs> <laughs> just just to say you've done it or you're doing it, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty much. There would be like no practical value for me to, to shoot it because it would be – insanely hard to draw um unless i was shooting a stupid heavy arrow um but you could you could easily get there 80 yeah. 80 pound compound and a 800 grain arrow or whatever you'd probably get there pretty easy most of your whitetail shots are sub 30 yards so it is a heavy arrow is really not gonna matter <clears throat> that is true um my my wife's new bow i have her set up at 34 pounds of draw weight 24 and a half inch draw 500 grain arrow 
she has a 10 yard pin, a 20 yard pin and a 30 yard pin. And that's taken up probably three quarters of the site housing with those three pins. So her trajectory is, is quite, quite large. Um, but with those three pins, knowing, a, you know, at a known shot distance, she's able to hold a pretty tight group. So like you said, close range, known distance, it's not as big of a handicap as I think a lot of people think it could be. Right. But if, you're, I think a lot, if your distance is off, then we're shooting those right. longer ranges. I think a lot of people, if they actually were like were to keep track of all the shots they made, you know, most of that shot, I think I read somewhere, maybe it was in one of the trad geek posts or something, like what the average distance for a, a shot was. And we're probably talking to sub 35 yards would be average for white-tailed deer is definitely going to be sub 35. It's probably going to be probably sub 20 for most people. I just put together a list of mine not too long ago, and I must have forgotten to save the document. I put together all the shot distances I could remember, and there were a couple at 35. Um, I shot a couple deer at 35 yards, and those were kind of like outlier data points. The vast majority were between like 8 yards and 23, Yeah, like vast majority. I've I've shot three deer over 30 yards, and two of those were guesstimated distances of about 30, and one was 31 and one was 32, and then the other one I ranged right at 30. So I've only shot three deer at 30 yards or above with my with any bow, my compound bow. Vast majority of mine are sub-17 yards because when I shot a self-bow or traditional bow, that was my 17 yards and in. Yeah. Well, and, and so many guys are hunting whitetails and so many guys are hunting just like us, but I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the really technical archery discussions are being led by guys who are either shooting long distances in tournaments or they're hunting out West where they have a different set of circumstances than a lot of us do out in the Midwest or out East. And so as expected, they have a different set of criteria when they're trying to decide how they want to make their builds, which is totally understandable. I mean, when I, when I shot my mule deer a couple of years ago, that was 30 yard shot. And that was literally my top pin. That was the closest pin that I had set for that trip was 30 yards. Cause I wanted my five pins and I might, you know, li- longest pin set at 70 yards. And I felt accurate enough that I was ready to take a shot at 70 yards. If that were, you know, going to be the opportunity. I think I was using a 440 grain arrow on that trip. And that allowed me to have those five sight pins set within that housing. If I was shooting a 550 or 600 grain arrow, I don't think I would have even been able to fit a 70 yard pin in the housing. My three pin slider that I run now is the first pin is 30 yards. So it's 30, 40 and 50 because I really don't anticipate it being sub 30 yards on a mule deer for the most part. Um, you know, if and, I am, then it's a hold under basically. Right, right. Exactly. Well, what is your arrow weight for your compound? Uh, I think it's 530 is what those Beeman ICS wideouts is right now. And you are shooting 70 pounds? Uh, 63. 63? At what draw length? Uh, 27 and a half inches. So you're probably, you're only shooting what, 220, 230 feet per second? Uh I think that site taped this on there's like 238. Okay. Well, that's not that's not too bad. Well, I suppose that 
that bow you have, that's a, a fairly high IVO speed bow, isn't it? Yes. It's the PSE Decree. Um, it was a Franken build before they made the 32-inch Decree. Okay. Yeah, because I, I noticed, like, on my chart, you know, compared to if I were shooting a bow that was, you know, five and a half, six-inch brace height and more aggressive cams, my numbers in general are are lower than what you might expect or what might be typical. But my bow is seven and a quarter inch brace height, nice soft cams. It's a nice smooth shooting bow so that I'm giving up definitely some of these numbers in terms of momentum and, and average velocity in order to give myself a little bit smoother setup. And I wonder, you know, say just the difference in brace height. <coughs> say if you went from seven to a quarter to six and a half, how much is that actually going to gain you momentum wise using the same arrow, same draw length, same weight? Um, you know, even if you could get the same cam style for that matter. That's a good question. Um, cause you're basically just adding on an extra, you know, half or three quarters inch of power stroke. Right. It might be somewhat similar to if you were to increase your draw length by that same amount, I would think obviously Which, it's a different, it's a different place in the draw curve, but right. you're, you're extending that overall draw curve. So if the curve stays the same shape, it might end up being having a, a pretty close net effect. But yeah, then you're, there's the trade-offs of that too, right? So I don't want to be shooting a, a five-inch brace sight when I got a first light sanctuary jacket on and <laughs> twenty degree weather. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be shooting a five-inch brace half at all. <laughs> I'll pass on that one. My wife's bow is, I think, a five and three-eighths brace height. Oh, but she's also twenty-four and a half-inch draw, so it's right. Comparatively, it's it's not that it's not that bad. I think the yeah, big, I, would, I think the big question when when I look at all this stuff is, it's it's pretty obvious that if you want to have better penetration, more momentum, heavier arrow weight, is going to give you an edge. But I think the big thing that we always come back to, and the big question is always, well, how much do you need? If you if you were to put a number on it and say you can kill a deer with, you know, let, let's throw out just an arbitrary number, point three slugs in momentum with a broadside shot, kind of contact broadhead. Well, what's the minimum number if you're shooting a mechanical? What's the minimum number if you hit the shoulder blade? Like there's a lot of variables there. What's the minimum number if he's, if he's moving when you shoot versus if he's, um, you know, pretty much stationary. There's so many variables. I think it's, it's really hard to pinpoint what the minimum is, which is why I think if you have the, the leverage and the ability to you know, pad the stats a little bit and give yourself a little higher number to work with. You give yourself a little bit better margin of error across uh, more different types of scenarios. Well, that's to me, what's always interesting is like when you look at state regulations and they say minimum draw weight of 40 pounds, well, minimum draw weight of 40 pounds on a compound bow is completely different on a recurve, you know, especially if you start looking at what is the draw length? Well, it's 40 pounds at 29 inches or whatever. To me, that's, uh, I'm always confused by that because I think Arkansas's was it had to propel a a broadhead arrow at least 125 yards through the air. <laughs> really? So it's like optimal distance. You as long as it goes 125 yards, then you can hunt with it. I'm like I could do that with like a 20 pound bow if I could. <laughs> so it, it really made, but it was like you know minimum draw weight is 40 pounds for a compound. But for traditional bow, it has to, and it's like that, you know, when you're looking at this momentum data, when you're looking at all this data, it really doesn't 
make sense because there are so many so many variables like you said there you know a f- compound in a traditional bow on the same plane from that aspect you can't say they both have to be 40 pounds because your momentum your kinetic energy pretty much everything is drastically different yeah no i i totally agree that it's not it's not ideal but at the same time like like you said because there are so many variables like they have to they have to just draw some averages and make some assumptions Right, like right. If, if you put the put a momentum or a minimum n- momentum number on there, then people have got to figure out how to calculate their momentum. Not probably everybody's gonna know how to do that. Um, and like to your point, if the minimum is forty pounds, and there's a guy out there shooting a forty pound self bow with a th- you know four hundred grain arrow and expandable on the front, like that's gonna be a terrible setup versus a guy shooting a forty pound compound, five hundred grain arrow and a two blade cut on contact rod vastly different. Um, setups in terms of what they're capable of but they probably are just you know playing the bell curve and saying well most guys who are you know shooting a 40 pound compound are, are probably going to be in the the safe range um, in terms of a minimum and making an assumption some assumptions on you know what kind of broadhead and and that's where I think people just have to have to rely on on people who have you know a fair bit of experience and giving them good guidance to let them know that if they are a low energy shooter, there's certain things you shouldn't do. The uh, high energy shooter might have the, the capability or the leeway to be able to try. Yeah. And to me, when I look at that from that aspect, I look at, you know, women and kids, they're typically your ones who are going to have that lower, you know, be right around that critical 40 pound draw weight. You know, whereas if you look at traditional, a lot of the traditional guys are going to be in that 40 to maybe 55 pounds for the most part but most of them are going to be in that lower to mid 40s range typically to hunt with so when i look at like trying to get people into hunting and things from that aspect it's you know you're cutting your kids and your women out because they just can't draw the minimum but there's guys out there hunting with traditional bows that are at the minimum but if you look at kinetic energy and momentum they're way down at the bottom so you know i would I would think there would be something like traditional bows have to be 40, whereas compound bows have to be 30 or above, basically. So there's a slight variation based off the difference in technology. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you could even have like a tiered type of system where it's dependent on a couple different variables, right? Like for traditional shooters, you need to have minimum of, you know, 38 pounds of draw and 450 grains of arrow weight or something like that. Compound shooters need to have you know, minimum of 30 pounds draw with 450 or 400 grains arrow weight or 50 plus pounds with, you know, 380 grain, you know, something like that, which is if they had, if they had the time and made the time to make some type of a table like that might make it more, um, might make it better or easier for people to follow. But at the same time, like it's adding a lot of complexity and throwing in a lot of assumptions. Oh yeah. I think there's, some you see some of that in some of the western states as they have minimum arrow requirements for weight um especially to go along with their draw length or draw yeah draw weight requirements so you do see some of that more out west but like realistically back to all bring us all back around what does it realistically take to kill a white-tailed deer in southern alabama i, don't, I think the answer is it depends <laughs> yeah i mean Optimum situation, 15 yards, broadside. I mean, foot pounds of energy, we're talking like what? Oh, I'd say I think 20, 25. 
I bet you. Uh, I was thinking I like twelve. It. Yeah, I'm sure you could do it with a really low, much lower than people are, are are assuming you could. I bet if you use the heavy arrow and if you used you know the sharp you know two blade cut on contact and you're yeah. shooting a clean, well tuned bow. And I just think that not having that, not knowing that information is what gives us these kind of broad requirements that we have to follow to hunt is 40 pounds because they feel anywhere in that 40 pound range if you're hunting with a 210 grain arrow or a 780 grain arrow you're going to have the kinetic energy to be able to kill a deer or the momentum to be able to kill a deer yeah and as we see from these numbers the relationship between those two values can vary quite a bit depending on what arrow weight you choose exactly i haven't done the numbers but i'm curious to see you know Sam with her 34 pound bow, if she were shooting five grains per pound, you know, that kind of minimum value, that's 170 grain arrow. It's 170 grains. I don't even know that you can build 170 grain arrow. I don't even know if that's possible, <laughs> but if she built like the lightest arrow that you could build, which I don't know, maybe around 300 grains. If you're really trying light, super light grain per inch, like a 3d HV arrow shaft, five grains per inch with just an aluminum insert and like a 75 grain point, you get one pretty light. But even then, she'd still only be shooting like, I don't know, 230 feet per second yeah, with super low momentum. So it's like, it's, in my opinion, much better of an option for somebody with her bow stats to beef up that arrow weight, have three pins for 10, 20, and 30, know the shot distances, and just don't take long shots. And you're not going yeah. to worry about the penetration. To me, I think kind of what all this says is it can never hurt to have too heavy of an arrow. Unless it causes but, you to miss. Unless your range, you're trying to right. shoot 50 yards and you're guessing. But, uh, you know, from from penetration momentum standpoint, you should always err to the heavy side, especially if you're in that, say, sub 50, sub 60 pounds, basically. Um you know, if you fall in that, you always want to try to go heavier over lighter. When you get up into that, you know, say 80 to 65 pounds, basically, you have enough margin that you could shoot a light arrow if you choose, but you're probably still going to be more beneficial momentum-wise, kinetic energy-wise, to go to a heavier arrow. Yeah. And I think... I'm at the point right now where I'm, I'm shooting 250 feet per second out of my compound. I feel like if I wanted to shoot faster, I would rather just buy a heavier poundage bow or one with more aggressive cams than shooting a lighter arrow. Cause then I get the best of both worlds. It's a little bit harder to draw the bow back, but I get higher momentum, get to maintain that nice heavy arrow weight and get a little better trajectory. But I would probably only do that for like an elk hunting setup or something where I like whitetail just, I don't have the need, you know, especially right. when I'm shooting cut on contact broadheads, like penetration from a setup of my, my energy at, you know, 540 grains or whatever that should penetration on a white tail should never really be a concern. Yeah. I mean, we seen what you did to the shoulder of that buck you shot last year in Missouri. Yeah. That really was not a concern whatsoever. And that was 658 grains, which is when I look at the chart, that was 0.665 slugs of momentum. And 76 that, pounds of kinetic energy. Although I was, was... 10 I was, or 12 yards? Yeah, about that, yeah. About 10 yards. Although that bow was at 75 pounds, that one I shot last year, because it had the number 7 mods on it, 
which was above the tune chart spec. Um, so that one was probably, I think that was, I think that arrow was probably moving close to 240, 250 feet per second. Whereas yeah. with my, my current bow, the BX32, um, it's shooting about 229 feet per second at that same weight. But I'm saying the 0.8 of momentum, assuming that was the 0.8 of momentum, yeah, there's some specs a little different. Obviously, at 10 yards, had no issues. 12 oh, yards, yeah. had no issues whatsoever. So could you have got by with 0.4 in that same situation? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, we we see we see it all the time on on TV. I mean, I guess I don't really watch that much TV. I watch more like YouTube hunting videos and Amazon Prime videos and stuff like that. But I still see occasions where people, even like you know, guy like full grown men shooting deer where they hit nothing but ribs, and they're not getting pass throughs. And it's just like, man, like what setup was that? They couldn't even get a pass through hitting nothing yeah, but it's ribs. Like, it's like you want to know, okay, what – I want to know everything from point to the back of the fletching and everything about the bow. Why did this Why did this happen? Was it because they were shooting such a, you know, a two-and-whatever-inch mechanical broadhead? Yeah, and that, that plays into it quite a bit too. How much momentum and kinetic energy that thing's sucking up. Which – Much less did they – did they hit the center of the rib and the rib flex to absorb some of that energy before it slipped between two ribs, basically, you know, there's so yeah. much that goes into all this. Yeah. Well, Hey, right, right. That right there is another, uh, another point for why kinetic energy is not a great indicator of, mo or of uh, penetration because it can transfer some of that kinetic energy transfers to movement of the tissues with the animal. And it's not, it's lost in, in terms of moving the arrow. That's why I'm a huge fan of two blades over three blades because the two blades are going to turn between the ribs and follow the path of least resistance, whereas three blades, you have to spread those ribs out to get that head through there. So when you're spreading those ribs, you're losing kinetic energy, basically. Yeah, I don't know on that one because I feel like when I look at a lot of like the inside of the rib cages and stuff, I see a lot of ribs that have slices through them. So I feel like with a three blade broadhead, a lot of times I think, you know, assuming your, your blades are sharp, I think they will cut through those ribs rather than kind of push them out of the way. If you had maybe a really dull broadhead, it might, well, you might get some shot angle too. You get up closer to the spine, the ribs right up close to the spine are like seven eighths of an inch apart. And they're going to be a heck of a lot more sturdier up there basically than... Yeah. If they are farther, if you're shooting from the ground level versus shooting straight down, those are two completely different. Yeah, that is factors true. to incorporate in that. Yeah, I, I think from your from your point, a two blade, a two blade broadhead is definitely going to be your best best performer in terms of penetration. And just due to the the loss, the lack of loss of kinetic energy, I guess. And, and one other interesting thing I think too on the on the subject of that specifically because I know you shoot the you've shot single bevels, there is some energy lost in getting that head to turn on a single exactly. bevel. But that energy is is used to do you know useful work in terms of creating a path for the rest of the arrow to slide through. So I, I'm I'm still kind of I guess personally I'm still on the fence on that one whether or not single bevel is better than double bevel for like a compound guy shooting at North American game. I think obviously for 
you know, trad bows and, and heavy, big, heavy things with thick bones. I think it, it's kind of you know proven that it makes a difference. But Yeah, if, if you're going to get a pass-through, I don't think there's a difference between a single bevel and a double bevel coming out of a compound. If 85 to 90% of the time you know you're getting a pass-through. It's when you're shooting those big animals or shooting those traditional bows where, to me, I think the loss of energy to get that <clears> – <throat> single bevel to turn to increase my penetration is worth the loss of energy yeah compared to shooting something like a three blade woodsman trying to force that energy through a rib on a steep angle shot yeah i think the the argument or the comparison is if you're just hitting soft tissue the double bevel is probably going to penetrate better but they might both pass through and it's not going to matter regardless Whereas if right. you do hit that heavy bone, you might have a little better chance of splitting and getting into where you need to get to with the single. Yeah, once you make two holes, to me, it's all irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, so, I've, I've even, like in my bone testing in the backyard and stuff, even with a three-blade, I'm shooting enough energy with a compound, enough momentum, that it'll still it'll still punch through that three-blade. Right. Could it punch better with a two-blade? Yeah, I'm sure it could. Which is why if I ever shot anything that was like, like if I went moose hunting or something, I'd probably shoot a two-blade. Just in case... I were to hit, you know, the shoulder blade, which on a moose is obviously a lot bigger than a whitetail. Right. And that's typically when I set up my arrows, that's kind of my thing is worst case scenario. I want to have the best performance arrow. So that's why I shoot, um, the two blades. That's why I run both a fixed blade and a mechanical typically in my quiver is because depending on the shot situation depends on which one I'm going to pick. If I'm having to stretch that shot a little farther, I'm probably going to shoot the mechanical just to get a little better flight in those distances. Mm-hmm. Um, less variable, less wind planing, things like that compared to sub 30 yards and in, it's going to be the fixed plate every time. Yeah. I mean, it goes to that, back to that shot placement thing. If, if the heavy weight is, is causing you issues in trajectory, it might not be worth that trade off to get that extra weight if you don't really need it. Same thing with that, you know, broadhead, that broadhead fixed blade might be a really good choice inside of 30, but if it's causing you to, if you can't hold the groups at you know, 50 or 60 and the type of hunting you're doing requires you to be good at that kind of range, then maybe that is one of those, you know, cases where the mechanical is a smarter choice provided you got, you know, decent momentum. I've seen some guys out here running two tapes, two different tapes for two different arrows on their sliders, depending on whether they're going to be shooting at an elk or shooting at a mule deer. So there's two different tapes for two different speeds, depending on what arrow they're going to shoot interesting at the time so even if it's a mule deer say sub 30 yards or whatever they're going to use their heavier arrow they're shooting mule deer at 70 yards they're going to use their lighter arrow and use the second tape that's on their site interesting my brain couldn't handle that (laughs) (laughs) i feel like the only time i could handle that is on like a spot in stock but if it was just like heavy timber or something you'd walk up on something like oh crap would which i'd probably use the wrong site tape and Probably wouldn't even use it. That's why I don't use side tapes. It's too much to deal with. I like the multi-pins for that purpose. Yeah, I completely agree. At least three pins. Uh, regarding that energy loss that we were talking about, like with the single bevels, there's another, you know, dis- I didn't wanna really want to go too deep down like the FOC <laughs> discussion, but one thing that I have a theory on, and I have – some data, but I need more data to, to really say anything definitive, um, is regarding compound bows and 
energy lost at impact and the stiffness of the arrow with traditional bows in the Ashby study, he was using trad bows because the compounds were shooting too much energy and he wasn't able to produce failures to the point where he could make any kind of reasonable assumptions. And so with that traditional bow with the higher FOC that created less oscillation of the arrow on impact. So less oscillation of the arrow on impact because that, that balance point was further forward and that forward lever arm was then stiffer because it was shorter, that arrow's flexing less. Flexing less, less lost energy, better penetration because you're not losing energy from that oscillation and that extra friction of that shaft, you know, kind of pushing back and forth sideways. Right. But with the compound, what I've, what I'm trying to, what I've done some testing with in terms of like taking arrows that are, you know, overly stiff or ultra, you know, as high FOC as I can get versus low FOC. And I'm doing chronograph testing at distances. I, I really cannot see any difference in terms of like the downrange energy of two arrows, one that's low FOC, one that's extreme FOC, same OD, same fletching configuration. For me, they're shooting the same out of the bow. They're shooting the same feet per second at distance, which means they're probably not any different in terms of energy lost or, you know, or at least noticeable energy lost for recovering out of the bow. But then for what happens on impact, it seems like, and this is where I need a little bit more research and a little bit more slow-mo video. If I use a stiff arrow, really stiff arrow, it seems like you still, because that shaft is harder to flex, you don't get much impact paradox. You don't get much flex when it hits something hard. And right. I think that is performing the same function as the Ashby report saw that EFOC where less shaft flex on impact, less energy lost, better penetration. I took an EFOC arrow, 25% of the compound and that grizzly stick that was modified is shooting about 14% FOC, same weight to the 10th of a grain, same fletching configuration, same average OD and shooting them into, you know, dense foam and stuff. I can't like hardly any difference in how deep they drive. And at least visually, like when the thing hits the target, like it's just stuffed in there and you don't like when you shoot like a trad bow or like a light poundage bow, sometimes you see that arrow hit the target and kind of wag around a little bit as it yeah. stabilizes. You don't get any of that with either. And I think part of that is just due to the fact that like, like if the arrow's not flexing much when it hits something, it's going to penetrate better. And so I kind of like the idea of shooting that maybe even a little stiffer arrow than you really need on a compound. And again, like I said, I need, I think more, more testing and more data to say it definitively, but that's kind of the, what seems to be making sense and what I seem to be observing for that compound stiff, heavy arrow penetrates well. Penetrates similar to a high FOC arrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's in, in relation to, the target because you're not getting the oscillation right. which creates additional friction in the target you're getting a very be like throwing a spear into the target it's all following the head or the shaft but in two different methods the high foc is pulling that arrow through whereas a stiff shaft is just continually pushing in a straight line with no oscillation right exactly yeah it's like if you try to uh if you tried to like joust and you had a really floppy like jousting pole or whatever, like you wouldn't be able to push the other guy off his horse. But if you had a really like, you know, if that thing was very stiff, 
you wouldn't have any issues. I think it's kind of the same type of analogy. Right. It's all in the the stiffness between knock and point or all the weight in the front pulling it through. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of different means to the same end. You got to think about the why and not the what. So you see a lot of people going high FOC. You're saying that same penetration goals could be achieved with less FOC, stiffer arrow. Potentially, yes. That's what I think. And and there's there's a couple other there's a couple other people that are kind of trending um, the same way. I've heard Randy Almer talk about it in a couple podcasts where he said he likes the stiffest arrow that they make for a given arrow. Um, but then I also saw something online where he was shooting a 340 spine. So I don't know what, what exactly – I don't have – all access pass into what he's shooting. Um, but that's right. just basically, basically what he said. Um, Mike Tanaka too said he's seen similar things shooting like 200 spine arrows, uh, with a little bit lower FOC. Um, and I think, and people keep going back to the Ashby reports on that and saying why FOC high FOC is better. But I, I don't think that he was, he couldn't control that as a, as a, a variable because he had to have his arrows spine out well. Right, so he's right. not able to shoot an ultra stiff shaft because he wouldn't have been able to get it to fly as well as you can with a compound with a, a center shot arrow. Yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of people try to take a lot of the Ashby report and put it into compound side, and it can be done to a degree, but there's traditional bows are so much more finicky than the compound side that you, you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt when you're talking with it about compounds. Because your flight, your arrow flight with a traditional bow is so much more uh, critical than with a compound. Especially now where we have wide ranges of what arrows can do um, compared to even then. You know, we can do so much more with an arrow now out of different weight bows, different grains up front, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that, uh, anyways... <clears throat> that's that's a lot of into the weed stuff, but I think it's at least maybe somewhat helpful helpful to uh, conceptualize and think about. Anyways, um, my st- super stiff arrows, which if you look at them on the chart, they're way off in the red on the right side for being too stiff. But I'm still getting great broadhead flight, no you know porpoising or anything at you know 50, 60 yards. Um, I'm shooting four fletch, whereas with those EFOC arrows, I was able to shoot f- three fletch. And still get good stabilization so there's i think there's some probably more trade-offs i think in flight you know do you want less fletching which may give you better wind performance but then the the arrow might not be impacting totally in line with its trajectory right the tail might be a little bit off to the side versus you know with the lower foc the thing might track straighter but it might move the entire thing might move a little bit more left and right um, you're still able to get adequate steerage, but you have to use different size veins to get there. Makes sense. So the the arrow that I've been, <clears throat> a couple of guys asked us on Instagram what I might end up with. The setup that I like a lot right now is that Grizzly Stick 240 cut basically as short as I can get it. I think it's about 27 and a half inch, um, which is like as close as that footer can get to my rest one inch aluminum sleeve in the outside 
which is made from an X7 Eclipse Arrow, which is 7,000 series aluminum, 100,000 PSI roughly, so it's it's strong aluminum. Um, and then an Easton Hit insert on the inside with a 150 grain point, and four fletch on the back with a a left offset um, because my arrows I noticed the bear shafts will rotate counterclockwise out of the bow, so I fletched them left heel or left offset, and then a lighted knock and a reflective wrap, and I'm getting really great flight. I've knocked tuned all the arrows. Um, so that, that took a bit of time, but it made a huge difference in those shafts. And I feel really confident with that setup right now. 535 or 540 grains, somewhere right about there, 250 feet per second. It's a pretty, pretty similar arrow weight to what I'm shooting. I'm shooting a little lighter speed or a little slower speed. You said 250. I was shooting 230-something is what my tape is, I think. Mm-hmm. 238 so pretty close yeah but you're shooting a much stiffer arrow you're shooting a 240 with a hundred and fifty up front you said one it's about 165 up front 65 or one 175 up front all sudden done i think 150 grain point 15 grain insert and uh about a 10 grain footer Yeah, pretty similar setup, surprisingly. Yeah. So, and with with either, you know, like those those Bishop three blades, I'll probably be using some of those, and then I have an Iron Well also in that 150. Um, I might have that one as my first arrow for Alec. I'm not sure yet. I have it. They both fly well for me at that size. They both have actually very similar surface areas, and I get similar flight out of both of those those broadheads. Non-vented, they're really quiet in flight. I could probably, if I ever had the desire for long range, throw on like one of those afflictors, 150 grain. Um, yeah. But I just don't know that I have the need for it right now. That's what I run. I run the scientific method 150 two-blade and then run the afflictor. Uh, it's the swine afflictor. It's the 150 grain. Mm-hmm. But. And those worked well for you last year, and that deer that you shot yeah yeah they did well for me there in missouri um the mule deer i shot at here in utah i shot with the or shot at with the uh scientific method that's still in a mountain somewhere white well, arrows and snow don't go well <laughs> i could have told you that well that's what happens when you're colorblind you got to sacrifice somewhere you got to have two arrow setups one that's white for when there's no snow on the ground another one that's black for when there's <laughs> snow on the ground uh, exactly yeah. Instead of having a white reflective wrap, have a black flat, black wrap and black fletchings. And my, uh, my arrows are all black, and that's why I have the white fletchings, all, all white fletchings, and that white reflective wrap and the lighted knock, so that I can find it. Which interestingly, for like the fobs, because I put fobs on Sam's bow, because they're easier for me to put on. <laughs> I'll, People people talk about like oh it pops off on a pass through and then you know where you're where the animal is standing. That thing will go ten yards from where you shot that animal. It, it'll bounce quite a bit. But the other thing is how I got a you know thirty thirty dollar broadhead potentially, a lot of time put into the insert system and stuff, and now I got a black arrow shaft laying out there somewhere in the woods. Hopefully, if it was a tree stand shot, it's stuck in the dirt. 
But if it's out west or something and that arrow just hits the ground and skips for another 80 yards, like how are you ever going to find that thing if it doesn't have – Oh, I know. I think a white reflective wrap would be a minimum necessity, but I prefer that the knock, lighted knock stays attached to the arrow. Yeah, I think some people were putting like strings in them that were like 20 inches long or something, so the fob would be on one side of the deer and the arrow would be on the other. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose, but all right. Yeah. Yeah, I felt I, – I liked the fobs when they first came out a long time ago, and – that was the first mistake I made. I shot a deer with one of the thing popped off, and it went, it probably went 15 feet from where I shot that deer. And I was like, uh, how am I ever going to find anything? My fob is over here. Who knows where my arrow's at, much less me be able to find blood in a field. Yeah, well, I was shooting the, test shooting that Valkyrie setup. I just have one, it's one arrow. I have one stainless steel outsert, and I have one short jag broadhead. And so if I lost that thing, like, that would be the whole setup. Like, I wouldn't be able to just grab another one and try it. And that thing, I shot through the broadhead target, and the fob popped off the back. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I got to go find that <laughs> thing out in the grass. And luckily, there was, like, two inches of arrow still stuck in the target to pre- prevent it from a complete pass-through. So I got lucky there. But I was like, eh, probably shouldn't shoot a fob on this arrow anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, quite expensive. Yeah. I wonder if we still have anybody listening at this point. Oh, maybe. <laughs> we kind of nerded out for a little bit there. They, uh, they're probably like, oh, well, that was interesting. They lost me when they really went in depth. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some people are going to like it. Um, it, I, I admit, it is. It can be. It can be a bit much trying to go into those numbers, especially if people might not have the chart in front of them. It's going to go two ways: the momentum way or the kinetic energy way. So people who believe in the kinetic energy is the most important than people who believe momentum is most important. Yeah. I think it seems like more and more people are starting to to sway over to the momentum side of the argument. But there's definitely still people still on that kinetic energy or the speed side. And it's not that that is the bad argument if if that is if you're if you're capable and it's working for you. Right. Um, but it's like you know, would you rather have a setup that's that's giving you a little bit of uh, peace of mind and confidence and an extra um, extra oomph on the momentum side of things at the the cost of maybe you know your trajectory being a little bit more critical, or you're going to take the hit on the penetration side of things and have one pin out to 40 yards and just cross your fingers that you don't hit the shoulder on accident, or somewhere in between, which is probably where a lot of people are going to fall. Right. Yeah, and there's, to me, probably 90%, well, probably over 60% of your bow hunters probably don't even factor either one of these into their setup for the most part. Mm-hmm. They just grab an arrow, shoot it, it shoots good, slap a broadhead on there, and yeah, whatever the kill deer. Whatever the pro shop sets them up with, what's yeah, the... And they just... They just spend a 1000 bucks on a bow, like, hey, what's what's the... What's kind of special? Can you give me on arrows? Yep. Which, like I said, it doesn't take much. So, yeah, I think if anything, I'd much rather have a, I'd rather have a really cheap low end bow and very fine tuned, like precisely set up arrows, rather than the other way around. I completely agree with that. I would rather have more money in arrows than in the bow than more money in bow and like Walmart special arrows. Yep. 
All right. Let's wrap it up. Seems like a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from Bobby and myself, subscribe to the DIY Sportsman and Boudreaux Boswell on YouTube. If you're looking at getting a new bow, make sure to give New Breed Archery a look. They are a direct-to-consumer manufacturer that allows you to customize your bow online and have it shipped to your door. Use the code DIY Sportsman, all one word, for $50 off. And with that, thanks for listening.